Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. For some academics, researching, writing, editing, and publishing a scholarly piece of work can take months, if not years, of painstaking effort, diligent commitment, and rage-inducing frustration. In December, Andrew Perlman authored one in less time than it takes to watch an episode of House of the Dragon. To be fair, he had some help. Released on November 30th, 2022, ChatGPT, a chatbot created by OpenAI, has made waves in a short amount of time for how responsive, sophisticated, and realistic it is. ChatGPT can write a Shakespearean-style sonnet about whatever theme a user chooses, tell jokes, and answer questions. And it can help people write things from book reports to business reviews to academic papers. Perlman noted in his December 5th paper, The Implications of OpenAI's Assistant for Legal Services in Society, that all he had to do was ask ChatGPT some questions and then publish their responses. He noted that the technology was not perfect, and at times it was even problematic. Nevertheless, it demonstrated the potential of artificial intelligence, especially when it comes to helping perform legal tasks. ChatGPT could be an upgrade over existing tools used by pro se litigants to answer questions, generate forms, and file papers with the court. It could also do work currently performed by lawyers, such as conducting legal research and writing briefs. So, should lawyers welcome this technology, or should they fear it? My name is Victor Lee, and I'm an assistant managing editor with the ABA Journal. And joining me on today's episode of the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast is Andrew Perlman. Andy is the dean of Suffolk University Law School and was the inaugural chair of the governing council of the ABA Center for Innovation. He is well known as a thought leader when it comes to the intersection of law and technology, utilization of technology to help bridge the access to justice gap, the future of legal education, regulatory reforms, and lots of other things. Essentially, he's the guy that we in the media go to whenever we have questions about how something new will affect lawyers in the legal industry. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Victor. It is a treat to join you. Yeah, thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, So obviously, I just gave the elevator version of your bio. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your legal background, specifically what drew you to the tech side of law? Well, that's going to be a longer story. It probably began when I was a kid and started programming a bit on my Commodore 64 in the 1980s, if I've got my dates right, Um, and took an interest in programming and technology at that time. Went to college and at that point took a real interest in law. And it took a while for me to see my original interest in technology and how it might relate to my chosen field of, of law and ultimately legal academia. But around, oh, I would say 12 years ago, as a result of my work with the ABA Commission on Ethics 2020, which was looking to update the rules of professional conduct in light of changes in technology and increasing globalization, I started to see all of the ways in which the legal profession was grappling with the use of technology in terms of ethics, but also the promise that technology offered in terms of how we offer our legal services and how it can make what we do better, faster, and cheaper for the clients and the public we ultimately serve. So I think my interest in technology, long story is, it began when I was a kid. The somewhat shorter story is that it really was an outgrowth of my work in legal ethics and seeing all of the ways that technology was shaping our industry. Great. So I guess just to get right down to it, how would you describe ChatGPT to our listeners who might not be familiar with its history or how it works? For anyone who has not used ChatGPT, the best way that I would describe it 
is it's as if you were having a text exchange with someone and you are able to ask that someone a question on almost any subject and have them respond to you uh, in a very human-like way. That's what it feels like to use chat GPT, but it's actually in some ways superhuman in the sense that the the efficiency and the quickness with which it produces a response is is breathtaking. And the quality of what it says is also rather impressive. Oftentimes, as you said in your introduction, wrong, uh, often imperfect, sometimes misleading, but nevertheless really impressive in terms of the quality of its responses and especially the quality of its writing. That's what it's like to interact with it. it it's really startling to see how impressive it is in terms of the quality of its writing and the comprehensiveness of the knowledge it seems to have. Is that what makes it so so much of an advancement from like previous types of chatbots or previous types of, you know, platforms that would purport to talk to people as if they were as if they were human? Is that the main difference that it it seems like you're talking more to a real person as opposed to talking obviously to a bot or talking obviously to something that just gives you canned answers? Yeah, it's the level of sophistication that I think is really rather startling. What it can do and how it does it really impressed me and was quite unlike anything that I had ever experienced before in terms of interacting with chatbots, which some of us have had that experience online. You type in a question and it's pretty obvious that a a machine is responding to you or guiding you to the best person or resource. This is qualitatively different from that and a real advance from anything that I think has been publicly available until now. Gotcha. I think one of the comparisons that I uh, that I heard about was that it's like having an encyclopedia, but also having like almost like an improv artist with you because you can ask it to, to, to you know, to write something in a style of, of Shakespeare or, or, you know, to write something in a style of some other author and, and it'll do it. Some things is better than others and some things is more accurate than others. But, you know, so like just playing around with it, you know, the other day when I, when I was just preparing for this, I was also startled by sort of like, you know, the, the versatility of it and almost kind of like, it was almost like, 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 like talking to someone who, not even a human, it was like someone who was like, like uh, like an actor or like uh, like an improv artist like you see on television. I mean, is there more to it than just that or is it just kind of like the, the novelty aspect of it? There's certainly a novelty aspect to it. There is the fun that you can have with it. You can have it, as I tried to do, create dad jokes for you, which my kids really did not appreciate. Um, but it can do things like you were saying, uh, write something in the style of a Shakespearean sonnet. There are fun little creative things that you can have it do. So that's cool. It's neat. Uh, it's not something that I've seen done before, but it's its use cases, the ways in which it can generate information and writing so quickly in areas that are relevant to what we do in our personal and professional lives that really Uh, made the light bulbs go off for me that this technology has the potential to be transformative for the world in every industry, but law in particular. And, And what I tried to do in my paper was to illustrate just the beginnings of where this might go. So it, yes, it's novel. Yes, it does creative and fun things, but it's the real world applications that really got my mind spinning and and got me to see where this might all be going for lawyers, the legal industry, and the world more generally. 
And like, was there a specific technological breakthrough or some kind of new technique that that made this possible? Because I, I know I know that that's that's sort of been the holy grail for people that uh, work in this area. This idea of making a chatbot that you know is almost indistinguishable from uh, from a human. I mean, was there something recent that happened that that allowed this to happen, or was it just years and years and years of experience and trial and error and data that you know was able to kind of get us to this point? Yeah, I, I am not in any way a subject matter expert on artificial intelligence, but my understanding this has been in the works for quite some time. This meaning artificial intelligence chatbots. And there hasn't been any one moment where there's been a breakthrough. I think what's changed is that this became publicly available on November 30th of this year. And the rest of the world got to try out a technology that people have been playing with more under the covers for a while. Uh, It's been widely reported, for example, that Google has a chatbot that is at least as sophisticated, if not more sophisticated than ChatGPT. Some people may remember a story that came out earlier this year or maybe last year about someone at at Google who had claimed uh, that an AI at Google had become sentient. That person was playing with Google's version of ChatGPT and that individual thought that, and it's called Lambda, and that, that individual thought that Lambda had achieved sentience. So it's not like ChatGPT is the only technology of this sort. There's a lot going on with language, uh, large language models, which this is, to imitate human writing and human speech. So uh, there's been a lot of work going into this kind of technology for uh, some time. And what's changed right now, I think, is that the world is discovering just how far this technology has come. And I think most importantly, just how close we are to truly transformative technology for the world. Before we continue, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. And we're back. Let's talk about ChatGPT's applicability to law and lawyers. What potential does this technology have for bridging the access to justice gap? I think there are innumerable ways that a technology like ChatGPT can help with the public's access to legal services and information. And we're probably only just now scratching the surface of what is to come. One example might be as a triage tool. And and here at Suffolk Law, we are actually trying to use artificial intelligence as a triage tool. And what I mean by that is somebody's ability to type in a question, a legal question, legal issue that they may be having, 
in their own words, in their own language, not in legalistic terms, and for the tool to be able to understand and translate that question or that information into a legal issue and then get you to the right resource so that you can solve your problem. So I think that's one immediate application. And one, like I said, is something that others have been working on and we've been working on it uh, here at Suffolk is to help people gain access to the information that they need by using their own words. Uh, a good simple example would be, imagine somebody saying, typing in, I've been kicked out of my apartment. Now the words kicked out of don't necessarily trigger eviction. They do for a lawyer, we know what that means, but for a machine to understand what that means, you need a little bit of artificial intelligence, some way to translate those words and make meaning of them into something that's actionable. So I think that uh, tools like ChatGPT are increasingly going to be able to help people find the right sorts of resources to be able to address the issues that they have. So that, that's one immediate application. The other is it might give you some basic information so that you can solve your own problem. And I tried this out myself with ChatGPT by asking it a few questions that people might have in their own lives that are, you might call uh, legal related, law related uh, questions. So for example, I asked ChatGPT the question, I literally typed this in as the prompt. I said, I have a disagreement with my child's school district in Massachusetts regarding the creation of an IEP. What should I do? Now, what was interesting about what I wrote there is that it's very specific to Massachusetts, and the IEP reference is not going to be immediately obvious. It's uh, referring to an individualized education program that a student might need in a school district if the student has some kind of disability or needs some kind of accommodation. So I was curious as to uh, how G chat GPT would respond. And it responded with fairly detailed information about how you should go about getting an IEP. I don't claim to say that it's right or that it doesn't have inaccurate information, but it has references to the process for a complaint to the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. So it goes on and gives a, a several paragraph response about how somebody would deal with it. I asked another question just by way of example. I said, the government hasn't paid me the correct social security amount. What should I do? And chat GPT said, first, you should contact the social security administration, even gave me the toll free number to call. And then it says, if the social security administration finds that you have not been paid the correct amount, they will correct the error and pay you any benefits you are owed. And then it goes on uh, about how you would appeal the decision if you disagreed with it. So these are kinds of you could imagine if it's accurate and really important to emphasize if it's accurate, you could imagine many people taking advantage of this kind of resource as an easy way to find answers to basic legal questions that they might have. So that, I think, are some of the preliminary ways that an artificial intelligence tool of this sort might be able to uh, help people address their legal needs. Yeah. When I was playing around with it, um, I was asking it like kind of general questions, some legal questions, but also some general knowledge questions just to see you know, how accurate it was and whatnot. And uh, one, one thing I asked it was, is like, what, what was Richard Nixon doing in 1965? So it was during his wilderness years. It was, 
he wasn't in office and that kind of stuff. And so actually the answer that, that I got back was a little weird. It was like, oh, Richard Nixon was vice president under under Lyndon Johnson. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I would I would have remembered that remembered that. But but I, I figured it was just one of those it's probably like a bug of the uh a system or, you know, maybe it's something that, you know, needs to be fixed through repetition and learning and whatnot. But I mean, have you have you found that overall, like, you know, it tends to be pretty accurate or it tends to be pretty correct with the things that you've tested it on? Yeah, in general, it produces accurate information and helpful information. But nobody, including OpenAI, which is the company responsible for producing ChatGPT, they don't say that people should rely on it. In fact, they go out of their way to say, nobody should rely on the responses in ChatGPT for anything important. The CEO has said that. So nobody should really rely on the answers they're getting to do anything of real significance at this point. The what's really remarkable about the technology it's not its immediate use in this regard. It's really the promise of what lies ahead and what's probably lying not too far ahead and that may be a lot closer than people would have realized before they started playing around with ChatGPT. Gotcha. Well, let's talk a little about that then. So I guess when it comes for lawyers and attorneys and whatnot, obviously it can help. It can be a, a useful tool for writing briefs, for doing research, uh, for even answering questions that lawyers might have. Where do you see that the potential of that technology evolving? Uh, do you see uh, you know lawyers relying on it you know, for other things besides just general questions and you know help with research and things like that? Oh, yes. I, I think there are so many use cases in the law, which could be pro se, but it also could be for lawyers. And there are a few examples in my paper. One, just by way of illustration, I asked it to create a draft of a complaint in a routine motor vehicle accident. I gave it some of the basic facts, just textually described them, and chat GPT uh, drafted a complaint. In another circumstance, I asked it for suggested deposition questions to ask in a routine motor vehicle case, and it gave me 16 or 17 different questions that one might ask of the plaintiff. I uh, asked it to draft a brief to the United States Supreme Court on why the court should not overrule its decisions on same-sex marriage, and it gave me a several-paragraph argument. Now, it's not something you would ever file in a court, but it was remarkable in terms of its references to precedent, because I didn't mention the names of cases. It pulled out names of cases, made arguments about why they should be uh, applicable in any future case that went to the Supreme Court. Again, was it something I would file with the Supreme Court? No, but it could provide a first draft of a complaint, of a motion, of a brief. So here's the analogy that I've, I've been using with some people and thinking about this. When I went to law school, and I'm dating myself here, but when I went to law school, we were still learning how to shepherdize cases by going to the library and doing it by hand, manually, through the books. Any lawyer who would do that today and billing clients for that time, I think, is engaging in malpractice. I don't think that anybody should be checking citations that way anymore. It's so easy to do it through digital resources or conducting uh, online research of any kind in law. Uh, if you did it all manually, I think you're doing your client a significant disservice. And I think it won't be too long before we're using services like ChatGPT not in its current form, but in some future iteration or technology like it, to do first drafts, prepare first drafts of so many different kinds of legal documents and information that we wouldn't think of starting from scratch 
because the technology is so readily available and so helpful to us. So I think it's not going to be long before we're using technology in those sorts of ways. So the million dollar question that lawyers always want to know about, should they be concerned about their jobs? <laughs> That's probably more <laughs> the billion dollar question for the industry, <laughs> multi-billion dollar question. I think that there are multiple answers to that question. Uh, and I'm going to play law professor here and say, it depends. And here's my nuanced answer to that question. I think some of the more routine legal work is going to be threatened. But I think that was threatened even before ChatGPT in light of rapid changes in technology. So that's not going to be a surprise. But I do think that any lawyers who handle very routine legal matters, it's going to be increasingly difficult to make a living doing that. On the other hand, what I do think is going to be increasingly likely is that law and lawyers and technology are going to have to play along much better in the future than they ever have in the past. That I don't think that lawyers will be able to ignore technology and continue to deliver the kind of service that the public and their clients increasingly expect and demand. We are going to have tech-enabled lawyers more than ever. And I think tools like this are going to be front and center. So what I would say to law students or somebody thinking about law school or people who are practicing law right now, they are going to need to understand how to use these new tools if they hope to remain competitive in this rapidly evolving uh, economy and world in which we now live. Uh, ChatGPT is just the beginning, and people need to be paying attention if they hope to remain competitive in the future. All right, let's take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And we're back. So what are some blind spots with this technology? I mean, obviously, we talked a little bit about, about the accuracy and whatnot, but what are some other things that uh, potential concerns that you have about you know, potential widespread adoption of, of ChatGPT? Oh, there are so many, uh, so many potential <laughs> concerns. First and foremost is inaccurate information, that there are lots of cases, including some that you already have uncovered yourself, where it's giving you uh, information that's just not right. And it's a product of the way in which it assembles information from billions of documents that have been collected on the internet. And it is very difficult. Um, it, it's, I think it's been referred to, and this is actually, I think, a term of art in the industry, kind of a, an AI hallucination. That <laughs> is that it is creating information that really isn't there. I've seen a use case, uh, somebody recently tried it, to pull quotes from a book. Uh, you know, find me a quote from this book that relates to X. And ChatGPT produced a quote, but then the person got, went and checked the book and that quote wasn't in there. Um, so there are lots of examples of that where we have to be quite careful about it giving inaccurate information. And why it's especially worrisome and why we need to be careful is because it does it in such a convincing way because ChatGPT is an excellent writer. The way in which it presents information, it looks and sounds quite compelling and convincing, but it can be completely wrong. 
So I think, and, and this, by the way, is one of the reasons why Google has said it hasn't released its version of a chatbot, Lambda, to the public is because uh, it is concerned about inaccuracies in the information that these technologies produce. So I think among the many challenges and concerns we must have is inaccuracy of information. Second is how it could be used for malicious purposes. There are already reports out there about how people have tricked ChatGPT into giving people instructions, for example, on how to create a Molotov cocktail or do all sorts of illicit things. And it will be make it possible to use technology to advance illegal ends. And so that's another possibility. In other words, that it's providing correct information, accurate information, but on information that we wouldn't want to be used in the way that people are seeking to use it. So that I think that's another problematic uh, use case of this technology. And I'm sure that's only the beginning. And, and as you already asked, in terms of the effects on the economy, what this is going to mean for knowledge workers is still unclear. Oh, and I should mention one more, given that I'm in, in higher education and education more generally, is how students are going to use technology of this sort. Once it gets better, the extent to which students are going to use it to write term papers, to do the kind of work that we have ordinarily expected students to perform themselves, there is going to be a real loss in students' ability to learn how to analyze and write effectively the more that these kinds of tools are available because it will be replacing some of the skills that we are asking students to develop themselves. So I think the, uh, the implications for law and the world are pretty profound, and we are going to experience them before too long. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, students and turning in papers and things like that, like book reports and, and whatnot, or or even like, you know, law review articles and things like that. I mean, it seems like this would be a pretty good tool for someone if, if they wanted to just cut a corner and, and, and come up with something that sounds original, but isn't. But I guess that that's always been the been, been the fear, right? I mean, you know, there's always something out there like, you know, like buying a, buying a term paper or, or something like that, just, you know, to allow students who don't want to actually do the work to skate by. But I guess, so I guess my question to you would be um, kind of on the flip side of that, because I know, you know, you, you've talked a lot about law schools and, and uh, adapting uh, law school curriculum and things like that for this newer generations of students, more technologically savvy students and things like that. If you had to integrate this into your into your school's curriculum or, or whatnot, like how would you do it in order to try to get the best out of students and allow them to like really kind of utilize the technology in order to learn skills or improve themselves or something like that? Yeah, I, I think the analogy here to electronic research tools is a good one. That when tools like Westlaw and Lexis became available for lawyers to use, law schools started to teach students how to use them to at first supplement book research, but now oftentimes largely replacing uh, book research. I see tools like this in much the same way, that there is a traditional way of generating legal knowledge and information and documents. And I think we'll still teach students those ways, but I think it won't be too long before we want students to know how to use technology to generate those uh, pieces of information or those documents. So to be very concrete about it, I could imagine that we not only teach students how to use queries in Westlaw and Lexis to find cases, 
In addition to that, we would also ask them to use chatbot tools and AI to generate legal documents or legal information of various kinds. Uh, and that I could imagine getting built into law school curricula before too long. We, it's not like we have never incorporated technology into legal education and taught students how to use it to advance their careers. We certainly have, and we have experience doing it. And I think this may be the next kind of tool that we are expecting students to learn how to use if they're going to be successful. Well, it's kind of like that famous aside about law school that like you learn about contracts, but you don't ever actually see one, right? So, so I guess, yeah, like I could see like a, a use for this in, in terms of like, you know, generating a contract so that people could actually study it and whatnot. But as far as utilizing this, this tool to kind of help, you know, law students develop their skills and whatnot, uh, what are some ways that, that, that you think they could, you know, they could use this as a potential ally? Well, I think you pick any area of law and I could imagine a use case for it. Uh, it it's a probably a more difficult challenge to imagine the areas of law where a tool like this wouldn't be useful. Um, even at the most sophisticated levels that many lawyers operate and providing uh, close call judgment decisions, I think could be in, at least informed by tools of this sort. And you could imagine, and some have suggested, that what some firms will do, the ones that provide very kind of customized, bespoke advice to their clients and create documents that are also similarly customized and bespoke, that they will have AI tools where they are loading in their custom documents, their proprietary information into an AI, and that AI is specific to that firm, and they're able to use it to generate new knowledge, new information, new documents, or at least inform the counseling that they do of their clients. So I, I think that the potential use cases here are easier to identify than the situations where you wouldn't think that a tool like this could be used. I think it's going to be pervasive. Finally, uh, if our listeners wish to get in touch with you to ask you about this or about you know, anything else that we've talked about, what's the best way to do so? Ask ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you could just Google me at Andrew Perlman. Last name is P-E-R-L-M-A-N. I'm at Suffolk Law. I'm the dean here. Uh, or email me, A Perlman at Suffolk.edu. I'm always delighted to hear from people who have questions, comments, particularly objections. I want to hear what problems people have with anything that I said today. And there are, look, there, as I've said before, there are lots of objections to this tool in its current form. What I really encourage people to think about is not what it could do right now, but what it's going to be able to do next year and the year after that. It's rapidly evolving and the future that many of us thought were still was still decades away is around the corner. Well, that's the next iteration, right? Like, uh, if someone wants to contact you, they'll just contact ChatGPT and be like, "Well, what would Andy Perlman say about this?" And then <laughs> yes, <spit> it out. <laughs> and, and it reminds me, Victor, of a, a Black Mirror episode. I've forgotten <laughs> the name of it, but there was an episode where uh, a company had developed a way to mimic the speech of somebody who had passed away. And it would load in all of the past emails and social media and videos of that person. And that, that person would, and then you could just ask a question of the AI and would you get a response in the, you know, the voice and the logic of the person who had passed away. So yeah, you, maybe there'll be a, an Andrew Perlman AI and Victor, how do you know you're not already talking to that? <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> thank you for joining us, Andy. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's, it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to chat with you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please go to your favorite app and check out some other titles from Legal Talk Network. In the meantime, I'm Victor Lee, and I'll see you next time on the APA Journal Legal Rebels podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.